don't you just love that song, guys? It's a beautiful song. I, uh, I have a hard time with that song. You know, I, uh, anybody need the, the God of Jacob in their life? The God who, uh, who keeps his promises. The God whose covenant just lasts a lifetime and a lifetime after that and a lifetime after that. The God who, who chose a guy named Jacob, which means a deceiver. And God said, I want to use you. The God of Jacob, who, who, uh, who uh, <coughs> deceived his, uh, his big brother. The God of Jacob. I think about uh, the God of the God of Mary. Oh, when God famously says to Mary, "Nothing is impossible for me." What are you facing right now? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. It might seem impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. I need that God. I need that God. That God who I can cry out and I say, God, I have this. I need you to do a miracle in my life, God. I need you to do a miracle. The God of Moses parting the Red Sea and Israel walked through on dry ground. Anybody need God to part a Red Sea in their life? If you're going through something in life and, and you're like, God, I don't know. I feel like I'm between that rock and a hard place and I don't know what else to do. And I've been praying for him and he's not changing. I've been praying for her and she's not changing. I've been praying for our circumstances and they're not changing. And God, I don't know what else to do. But there's nothing that you're facing that God can't go through. There's nothing you're facing that God can't go through. And I look at these Old Testament characters and I see their faith and I'm like, I want that much of their faith. You know what I mean? I wanna, I wanna see a miracle in my life that's unexplainable. Don't you wanna see that kind of thing? Um, I, and then of course, the God of David. I love David. The guy who God prepared when he was out in the field when nobody was looking at him and he was watching a bunch of sheep and God met him at that place where nobody else was and God spoke to him and he learned to hear the voice of God out in this field. He learned to walk with God. He learned to uh, be faithful to God when he was working that job that he maybe just wanted to get through it. You ever have a job that you felt like, I just want to get past this job? But God says, no, 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 no. You're exactly where I want you to be. And I want you to learn obedience right now where you're at. The God of David who faces Goliath, this nine foot seven guy. And, 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 and David's the only one that says, hey, you know what? I can take this uncircumcised Philistine and I can take him. I can take him. Anybody have any giants that need to be taken down in your life? When I look at uh, these characters of the Old Testament, there's times in my life when I'm like, okay, I need the God of Moses right now. I need the God of Jacob right now. I need the God of Mary right now. I need the God of David right now. The God who forgave him. I mean, the man who committed adultery and murder and, and God still told him, you're still my man. Glory to God, you're still my man. Anybody need that? When you look at uh, Hebrews, we're in the series of Hebrews and we're in chapter 12 today, but in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see these people of faith and you see this idea of without faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God. You can't get around it. You're going to have to go through faith. There's just no way to get around it. You got to go through faith if you want to please God. And there's these incredible um, stories of how God used these ordinary people, human beings like you and I, who showed faith, exercised faith, and God did great things in their life. And then when you turn the page and you look at Hebrews chapter 12, you know what Hebrews chapter 12 says? It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. 
And Hebrews chapter 12 says this, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. It's like, it's like God shows this, all the beauty, the romance in Hebrews chapter 11. And you're like, man, I want to see the waters part. And I want to see giants fall. And I want to see all these miracles. But you just, just hang in there and you go to the next page. And, 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 and the writer tells us, it's going to be hard. I don't know what you think, but walking by faith can be hard. Walking by faith can be challenging. Walking by faith can be discouraging too. Christians can be discouraged. We can, we can go through that. I want to jump into this, guys. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. says this. Therefore, say therefore with me. Say therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith. And you know, think about that. Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and David and Rahab and so many. Let us strip off. We're gonna become strippers today, guys. All of us, we're gonna become strippers. Let us strip off every weight. Say every weight with me, every. That slows us down. Especially especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with what church with endurance. The race God has, has set before us. And verse two says this, says we do this by keeping our eyes on whom? Say one more time, we do this by keeping our eyes on whom? Jesus. Those of you who are online, type in Jesus in the chat field. The champion who initiates and he perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. He goes on to say, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. You ever feel like you have haters in your life? You ever feel like you've been wronged? You ever feel like you've been a victim? Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then, here it is, then you won't become weary and what? And give up. You won't become weary and give up. And then I believe verse four, I think we're gonna go there, right? Isn't it? Oh, here it is, run with endurance. That's the title of today's message, run with endurance. So before you sit down, I wanna, I wanna have you do something. I'm gonna want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them don't give up. But let me pray for you first, all right? I just want you to get ready. Let me pray for you first. God, thank you for your love. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for being faithful in our lives. And we cry out to the God of Moses. We cry out to the God of Mary, the God of Jacob, and the God of David. We need you, God. Jesus, we're going to learn what it means to fix our eyes on you today. We're going to learn what it means to run with endurance. So I ask you, God, by the work of your Holy Spirit, to work in me and through me. May the words that are that just come out of my mouth be from you, Lord. That's my prayer, that they just come out and they're from you. Have your way, Lord, and do a mighty thing in hearts. I pray for that soul that showed up to church that might be discouraged. Would you encourage them here? I pray for that person who has no desire to be at church. I'm so glad they're here, God, and I pray that you get a hold of them. And I also pray for that person who considers themselves a Christian. Would you transform them, God? Continue to perfect them continue to work in their lives. We all need your grace. None of us have it all together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before you sit down, turn to someone next to you and just tell them, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. <clears throat> don't give up. <clears throat> God is so good. God is so good. 
I got my running shoes on because I'm ready to do some running today. Make sure you get a shot of my shoes. Can somebody get a shot of my shoes here on this side? They've got some cool running shoes. So I, I should be able to preach really fast today because I'm, I'm excited about this message. Uh, uh, I want to look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, uh, other versions might say endurance, um, perseverance, endurance. Anybody have perseverance? And you know anyone who has endurance? I think it was Babe Ruth. He said, the hardest people to beat are those who never quit. Those are the hardest people. Like, they don't know when to quit. They just keep coming at you, and they don't stop, and they're losing, and they don't know they're losing. You know what I mean? And, and I think about the walk of faith, the life that God has called us to. It really is a life of endurance, a life of perseverance. And I, I look at this, this, this chapter, and it starts off with this idea of run with perseverance and throw off this, and, and don't, don't get caught up with this, and don't get chipped up over this. And behind these, these words you see something. Remember, the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but he's talking to a bunch of Hebrew Christians. And, and he's telling them, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Now, isn't it comforting to know that these Christians, their early church also had times of discouragement? They, all, they also had times when they thought, you know what, I, I, I don't think I want to go to church anymore. You know what, I don't think I want to I read my Bible anymore. You know, I don't think I want to cry out to God anymore. You know, I'm discouraged things aren't going my way. I'm discouraged things aren't going as fast as I'd like them to go. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of, and I'm just discouraged. Discouragement is one of those things that will just hang out with you, and it'll just stick to you like gum on the bottom of your shoe or something like that. I mean, you can, before you even get out of bed, before your feet hit the ground, you could be discouraged, can't you? You could be discouraged. Discouragement will become friends with you. It'll meet you at the kitchen table when you're drinking your coffee. It'll meet you at Starbucks, right? There. It'll meet you in the car when you're driving around and discouragement will be right there. That spirit of discouragement will be right there with you. It can, it can meet you when you're going to work or going to school or wherever you're at. Discouragement could kind of be with you on the way and on the way back. Discouragement can be right there and you're in. You just kind of sits inside of you and you're just discouraged and you're not sure maybe why and whatever it might be. And, and it has a way of taking a toll in you. And it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in the projects or a mansion. Discouragement can meet you in that one-bedroom apartment, and that discouragement can also meet you in that mansion and put, put its feet on, inside the, the jacuzzi right by you, right there. It can, the discouragement can hang out with you anywhere you're at. That's what discouragement will do. It'll meet you anywhere. And then discouragement will get you, you'll say things like, you know what, maybe it's not worth it. I just want to quit. I don't want to go anymore. I'm tired. I'm going to just give up. I'm done. Why am I doing this anyway? What's, well, it's not worth it anymore. And I'm just so tired. I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I'm done. That's what discouragement does. Ultimately, it's just the work of the devil. The devil wants you to be discouraged. It reminds me of the early time when, 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 uh, when uh, Cain killed his older brother, Abel. And uh, he was jealous about his older brother. And, and, and do you remember what God said? What are you so, why is your face so downcasted? Why do you look so sad? Why do you look so angry? Repent. Get right with God. Because the devil desires to have you. And discouragement can take such a toll on us that we don't even hear anyone anymore. That's what discouragement does. It could affect our relationship with God and it could affect our relationship with us people around us, it could be really challenging. I'm so grateful here at Thorn Creek Church. We have people who love coming to church. I'm grateful. I love hearing people who, who like never went to church love coming to Thorn Creek Church. I talked to someone recently and they said they've never felt more at home at Thorn Creek. And I'm so grateful to hear that. 
I mean, you know, we had people coming here who are working through addictions and working through marriage issues and, and working through skeletons in their closet and working through all kinds of stuff. And they're coming here and they're coming to know Jesus and they're learning who Jesus is and they're learning to walk with Jesus. They're learning to fix their eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. And when you look at chapter 12, it's really interesting because when you look at chapter 12, he starts off with these, these verses in the beginning and this idea of, 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 since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, throw off everything that hinders us and, and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance that's marked out before us. And the rest of Hebrews chapter 12 is about times of discouragement. Times when, when, when you might become discouraged and you might walk away. You might walk away from church. You might walk away from people that love you. You might walk away from God. You might just walk away and say, forget it. I was talking to someone recently and they were telling me, would you pray for my, would you pray for my good, my, my, my friend is a brother actually, would you pray for my brother? And this woman told me that and, and, and she told me that, that when he was younger, he went through a really, really difficult time and he blamed God and to this day, he will not go to church. To this day. The devil just discouraged him. We all have times of discouragement and the question is, what are you gonna do when you're in that dark place? What are you gonna do? I was talking to someone recently and I was like, man, I am in a dark place. You know, pastors can become discouraged. I'm just being legit with you right now. There's times when I'm discouraged and I'm like, okay, now I gotta go up and I gotta preach an encouraging word to everyone. And I don't feel like I'm encouraged right now. I don't feel like, and God somehow takes a hold of me and uses me in spite of me. When you look at chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, let me give you, let me give you some points. Let me give you some places where you could become discouraged and you could want to walk away from God, or you could want to walk away from the church. Here's some examples, and he starts off with, hey, I'm going to share a few with it. Verse 5, he says this, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. See, these early Christians, when they were checked by God, they would become discouraged. You know what that feels like? You say something, you, you know, you do something, or you whatever it is, and like God checks you, and he's like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You know that, right? You need to go and make things right. Now, that's a whole other level right there. Very few people repent. Very few people go and go to the other person and say, forgive me. That's, a, that's major league stuff right there. Minor league stuff is, all right, God, forgive me. I just don't want to make any calls. I don't want to approach anyone. I just forgive me. I want to get to heaven. But what do you do when God speaks to you and says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be looking at that app. You shouldn't be looking at that site. And you shouldn't be listening to that music. And what do you do when God speaks to you in that moment? And these early Christians, they were tempted to give up. He says, and verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I don't know about you. But if there's one thing that I've been learning since I've been walking with Jesus, and I've been walking with Jesus since I've been 18 years old, one thing I'm still learning is the unfailing love of my heavenly Father. I'm still learning what that means. I'm so glad the love of God is greater than my love. Aren't you glad the love of God is greater than your love? Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you the way you treat others? I'm going to step on some toes today. Aren't you glad God's love is different? It's pure. It's without blemish. It's perfect. And he loves that tax collector and the sinner and the Gentile and the Samaritan. And he loves them, the prostitute, whatever. I put a post one time on, on, on I think it was Instagram or something. I said, Jesus loves strippers. Prostitutes. Those Jesus loves prostitutes. That's what I was thinking about Mary. Mary. And, and I got some interesting comments from that little comment. Jesus loves prostitutes. That's what it was. I got to remember what it was. I know he loves strippers too. Doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm talking so much about strippers today. I think it's because of that one word right there. But I, I want to I say it like this. If you have the wrong perspective of God, you could interpret his discipline as punishment. 
The truth is, your heavenly Father loves you too much to let you go down a road that's harmful for your soul. Nobody cares more about your well-being than Jesus. I think the challenge is, and this is maybe a lie from the devil, is you start going down that wrong road and you convince yourself it's harmless. I mean, that's the lure of sin, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with, you know, it's just one night. You know? It's just, we're just hanging out. It's just, it's just hang, there's nothing wrong with this. And in our minds, we convince ourselves there's nothing wrong. And God sees it and God says, okay, I know where this road goes to. I know who you're going to be running with. I know who you're going to be with after that. I know, and you know what? This is not good for you. And he might check you. And at that moment, you have this opportunity to receive it as the love of God. Scripture says godly sorrow produces repentance. God doesn't want you to live with guilt and shame. God, when he speaks to you, his goal is for you to turn back to him as a child does with their father. He loves you. He's our heavenly father. He's our Abba father. He's our Abba father. Verse 10 says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they know how. All the fathers, would you just say amen really loud? The best that you know how. Men, are you going to just leave me up here hanging? Can you say amen, dad? There you go. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate you doing that. And three others of you. Um, but God's discipline is always good for us. Now, think about that. God's discipline is always good for us. Oh, beautiful. So that we might share in his, what? There's the end game right there. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to learn to live a holy life. God wants you to be a righteous woman, a righteous man. And the goal behind God disciplining is for you to be holy. He wants to have this close fellowship with you. He wants you to learn to walk with him and trust him and cry out to him. And he wants you to experience that. But chapter 12 says, it's going to be hard. You're going to want to quit. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be discouraged. Um, I read, came across this article in uh, Inc. magazine by Jessica Stillman, and it was titled, How to Survive your own personal hell week. I, 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 that's the name of the title. I want to say it again because I don't say hell very much at church. The hell week. Can we just say hell week together? It's, you guys said that louder than amen. That's just kind of weird right there. So initial hell week is a Navy SEAL training. It's a 24-week gauntlet of insane physical feats, extreme discomfort, terrifying um, surprises all topped off with a final and apparently aptly named Hell Week. And, and something like 75% quit. 75% quit. They say it's ridiculous. You wake up on a Sunday to gunfire, then you work out until Friday with no sleep. No sleep from Sunday to Friday. Hell Week is the, bottle, the bottleneck that breaks a lot of talented People. You know what they discover? Most people have doubts. Most of these Navy SEAL trainees, you know when they quit? Tuesday. They quit on Tuesday. And this writer was at interviewing another Navy SEAL and said, what's the deal with Tuesday? Why, why Tuesday? And they talked about, well, on Sunday, you know, it starts off at 2 a.m. and you continue all day and uh, Monday through Monday night uh, without let up and and you run yourself around, you get yelled at, you do push-ups, carrying logs, rolling in the sand, and it continues day and night. And, and while people are sleeping in their warm beds, you're out there, you know, doing all kinds of physical exertions, and people are yelling at you and all that kinds of stuff. And then, and then just when they think, oh, this is ridiculous, the guys realize by the, time, by the time their strength starts wearing out, they look and they think, oh, it's Tuesday. Oh, it's only Tuesday? And in their minds, they think, I've got to keep doing this all the way till the right. That's only Tuesday. We're not even halfway. And that's why Tuesday, many, 75%, quit by Tuesday. 
Tuesdays that day when you get to that point where you're strengthened. I know we, we can stay up for a while. I know some of us can stay up longer than others, right? Faith, sleep is for the weak, right? And we can stay up longer than others. But, but I know for me, I, I, I can stay up maybe a day, maybe two days or whatever it might be. But Tuesday, it's like I'm done. When I look at this and I look at these Navy SEALs and I, I look at Hebrews chapter 12 and, and, and here's what I want you to hear. God's grace is enough for today. Focus on today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. God will take care of tomorrow. You just take care of the battle that's in front of you right now. You don't have to worry about it. The writer of Hebrews talks about the danger of being uh, discouraged. And in verse 12, he says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And that's what discouragement does. Your hands just kind of get tired. And, you know, it's like, you know, I just kind of envision, you know, like, I'm just, you know, have you ever seen anyone walking in discouragement? Their shoulders are slouched forward and their heads just kind of down. And they're just tired. You can see the weight on their shoulders. And the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So the writer is here, he's saying discouragement can get you to a point where you just stop, try. It's not worth it anymore. Just give up. When you, when you stop trying, have you noticed something? When someone stopped trying, you know what they do? They stop moving. I'm just going to sit here on the couch with a bag of chips and I'm going to binge on Netflix or I'm just going to watch videos on my phone and or I'm just going to stop trying. I'm just going to sit down and I'm not going to do anything. That's what stop trying looks like. In other words, you're not moving anymore. You're not running the race anymore. You're not running with endurance anymore. And you're like, okay, I, I'm done behind this. You stop being involved. You stop trying. You stop reaching out. You stop serving. You no longer use your faith muscles. You just stop. You just stop. And the, the warning behind these two verses is this. If you stop trying, your faith can be put out of joint. If you stop trying, that faith that you had can actually be put out of joint. Eugene Peterson said this, great book called Long Obedience, says this, endurance is not a desperate hanging out, but a traveling from strength to strength. Isn't that good? It's traveling from strength to strength. Sometimes I go through stuff. I say sometimes, many times I go through stuff. And I'm, I'm like, okay, God, I'm so discouraged right now. I feel like I'm in this dark place. And God just gives me a word. Let me share a word with you that I just came across, guys. This is Psalm chapter 28. This is, this is just free, guys. Um, the verse 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. You ever just need to do some soul talk? And you're like, you know what? Um, uh, God has a way of giving strength and encouraging us more so than our closest friend, more so than our spouse. God can, God can do that. And I, I love, I got to read you Psalm chapter 18. Psalm, uh, yeah. I love you, O Lord, my strength. See, part of walking with God is knowing where to go for strength. Part of this life of perseverance, this life of endurance, is knowing where to go for strength. How long do you plan on, for those of you who call yourself a Christian, how long do you plan on walking with Jesus? Hmm. You're going to need to know where to go for strength. You'll have those moments. Those of you who are not walking with Jesus, where do you get your strength from? Is it as deep as the strength of the Lord? Where do you get your strength? I know I don't have enough strength on my own. I know I don't. I've seen who I am on the other side. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen myself in my weakness, and it's nothing that I want anyone else to see, guys. I don't want you to see that. So I've learned not to rely on my own strength. But I know who to go to for strength. I know who to do that. My God. 
And sometimes I can only go from strength to strength. And I'm able to do that. Let me, let me say it this way. You know, this verse right here that we read, you know, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that your limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, he's saying, okay, when, when you feel like, when you've been, when you've been hurt, when you're discouraged and you feel like you don't even want to move anymore, you don't want to try, you're going to stop. You're going to stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this. And the danger or the warning behind this is be careful, be careful. I've discovered something. There's some people, there's some people who can fall in love with their, with, with their, with their injury. You know anyone like that? They kind of baby the injury. And you're like, man, you, can, you should work that out. No, I can't. I'm injured. I can't. I'm can't. And I, I, I can't. And you're like, okay, well, you know what? You, you should get more. You should, you'll never get better if you don't start moving. Nope, I'll forget it. I can't. I'll never be able to. And they just talk themselves out of it. They can fall in love with their injury. In a weird sort of way, there's some people who could kind of get their identity from their injury. And it becomes part of who they are, so they believe. And the writer is saying, be careful. Be careful. Don't fall in love with your injury. It started off with a limp, and it could become a permanent injury. That minor injury could become a major injury. Right now, you're just walking around with a limp, and you should take care of that. I know you're discouraged. Well, don't stay there. You got to get moving. You got to get going. And don't, don't, don't stay in that place of discouragement. If you stay in that place of discouragement, your faith could be put out of joint, out of socket, out of socket. The devil wants you to give up trying. The devil wants you to give up trying. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I grew up old school in the 80s. Any 80s kids out there, that was me. That's when there was like real music in the 80s and there was just... <laughs> but uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I love... I, I've seen Michael Jordan play live. I mean, that was my era. And uh, Grace went with me and fell asleep, but that's another story. But uh, uh, I rem- uh, right now, Netflix has this, uh, The Last Dance. Anybody see The Last Dance? It's a, it's a documentary on the Chicago Bulls. But it, they talk about how Jordan, he couldn't get to that championship level because there were these two teams that just really roughed him up. One was the the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons. And when he would go into the paint, they would just, just clobber him. I mean, they would foul him like crazy. Stephen Curry wouldn't last a day in, in, in that league. And, and, and it just, that's what they did. And then the other one is the Boston Celtics. But, but really, the, the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons, when he went into the paint, there were guys like Lambeer and Dennis Rodman, and, 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 and these guys would just, just go at him and foul him and take his head off when he went to the paint. And you know what made him a champion? You know why he, he said, you know what, I'm going to get through this. During the off-season, he realized something. I'm not strong enough to go in the paint. I can't go to battle in the paint. I'm not strong enough. So he spent time building up his strength, his lower body and his upper body, working out, running. So the next year, he was able to go in the paint and compete with those guys. And I, I see that, and I think, boy, you know what? As Christians, when you fall down, when you become discouraged, what you need to do is you need to look at that area and say, okay, I'm not strong enough. What do I need to do to build up strength so that I don't make that same mistake? So I don't fall again. What do I need to do? This is something that the enemy can get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get strong enough to, so I can go into the spiritual battlefield. Don't you find it interesting that in Ephesians chapter 6, there's this whole talk about Christians should wear the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and, and, and the shoes of the preparation of the gospel. You know what that says? You're going to battle. That's what that says. That does not say sit down on the sofa and chill out. 
It does not say you do nothing. It says expect a fight. You're going to need to endure. You're going to have to persevere. It's going to be hard, but you can do it because God is with you and he'll take care of you. But don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Imagine what would happen if we had an army of people who wholeheartedly believed that nothing was impossible for God and who were not afraid of opposition not afraid of any adversarial things that happened, not afraid of any giants, not afraid of it. I mean, it wasn't about their comfort. It was about the will of God and pleasing God. You need to understand the devil, he doesn't want you to get stronger. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to convince yourself that you're a victim. He wants you to stay in a dark place. The devil does not want you to turn to Jesus Let me say something else. The devil is an imitator, not a creator. God is the creator. And if you look at the schemes and strategies of the devil, all he does is he's an imitator. He's the father of lies. And when you walk with him long enough, you walk with, some of you, how many of you walked with Jesus long enough? You start seeing the strategies of the devil and you're like, I've seen this before. Just different names, but I've seen the same thing. It's an old song. I've seen it played many times. I've seen, yep, I I have, yep, it's nothing, just different names. That's all it is. But that's what the devil does. Scripture says this, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Feeble knees. And I looked up that word because I don't ever say, hey, man, you got feeble knees. I mean, it's just a weird thing to say. So I looked up, like, what does feeble knees mean? And I unpacked it, and this is a little bit of a surprise for me, guys, because this is a little bit close to home for me. But the, 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 the meaning is suffering from the relaxing of nerves. Wow, it's getting close to me now. Suffering from the relaxing of of nerves, and the transliteration is paralytic, paralysis. Now, I had, you know, if you didn't know this, I had shingles, and it attacked my ear, and it attacked two of my nerves, and half of my face became paralyzed. And the scripture is saying, look, if you're discouraged, your, your spiritual nerves can become paralyzed. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't get up and you don't get going and, and you don't, you don't keep, I mean, I mean, what has been a minor injury can become a major injury. And God is so good. Did you know nerves can regenerate? Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, you start walking long enough with God and you'll be thanking God for things that nobody else will thank God for. You'll be thanking God. Thank you, God, my right knee is great today. No, who is that prayer? Thank you, God, that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, that I can hear out of both of my ears. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, I have balance. Thank you, God. You start thanking God for things that nobody else thanks God for. You know what I'm, uh, some of you old saints know what I'm talking about. You recognize the goodness of God. You don't take anything for granted. Every day you say, God is good. And you stop to look at that sunrise a little bit longer. You don't take it for granted. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, you old saints? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you recognize, you know, God is, my, our heavenly father, he's so good. Let me, some of you need to hear this. If God can heal nerves, God can heal you. You don't have to walk around discouraged. You don't have to walk around in a funk. You don't have to tell everyone about your injury. You don't have to do any of that. You're giving too much spotlight to that hurt. You need to to know God is bigger than your hurt. And God can deliver you. You may have gotten to this place. Have you ever seen those people? They used to serve and they used to give and they used to teach and they used to preach and they used to love and they used to whatever. They used to do a lot of things and now they just stopped. 
Have you seen those people? They've allowed that minor injury to become a major injury. And now it's taking a hold of them. And some of you, let me, let me say it this way, it's time to run. Can you turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's time to run? It's time to run. Verse 1 says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Isn't that cool that the writer of Hebrews recognizes that there are certain things that it's just like t-ball. You easily get tripped up about certain things. But the other thing that I saw, as I looked at this verse, Lord, Lord showed me is this. You don't know what's holding you back unless you're running. You don't know. Think about this. If you have a bunch of weight and you're standing still, you can add a whole bunch of weight and not realize what can hinder you. Here it is. You guys ready? You got to be able to run. Because if you run, then you're able to recognize, you know what? I, I can't, I can't, I, I need motion in my legs as I run. I can't do it. I've got to, t- I thought of, you know, when you're standing still, you can add a whole bunch of weight and you don't realize what's holding you back. Am I, am I preaching to anybody right now? You got stuff. But when you start running, when you start running, that's when you realize you know what, if I'm going to walk with Jesus, this is going to hold me back. If I'm going to walk with God, this is holding me. If I'm going to fulfill God's purpose in my life, if I'm going to go to the next level in my walk with God, if I'm going to live a life of faith, I got to let go of this. And you realize, you know what, this is not right. I got to get moving. If you're not moving, you don't know what's holding you back. You don't know what's holding you back. You'll be standing still. You won't know what you can't run with. And there's things that can have a hold on you it seem innocent. It's not a surprise that in this chapter, he's talking about things that can hold you back and things that can discourage you. He all of a sudden gets into relationships. In verse 14, he says, work at living in peace with everyone. Now think about that. Do you work at that? I mean, work at it. Work at it. It doesn't say just avoid the person. Doesn't say, does it? Doesn't say just like the people that you like, love the people that you like. It doesn't say that. If they annoy you, you don't have to work at it. It doesn't say that. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? And work at living a holy life. You can't separate the two. You can't say you're a Christian and be at odds with someone. You can't say you're living a holy life and not work at living in peace. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Wow, the road just became narrow right there, didn't it? See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, of the grace of God, and that no, oh wow, check it out. And that no bitter root, say bitter root with me grows up, a bitter root grows up. It's organic. It's alive. You ever go to the side of your house or something like that, and you ever been surprised by a big weed? And you're like, whoa, when did that thing grow up? That thing is huge. That thing's almost as tall as me. Last time I was here, I didn't see it. But you neglected it. It was on the side of your house. You hadn't been on that side in a while. And you looked and you saw this thing and it's eye to eye now with you. It's looking you straight in the eye. It's a bitter root. See that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I don't think it's by accident that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 is talking about run this race of endurance and Fix your eyes on Jesus and, you know, don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. And he starts talking about, you know, how you work through the times when God corrects you. And and then he also talks about the relationships in there. And he talks about these things that can so easily tangle you up. Harmless, innocent, seemingly innocent. And he narrows down, goes into relationships. And relationships is always work, isn't it, guys? Relationship 
is work. If you want to have a close relationship, a meaningful relationship with anyone, it's work. Let me just tell you, Grace and I have been married over 30 years and would still work for us. She has to forgive me many times still. We went out on a hot date last night, ate some sushi, had a good time in downtown Denver. It takes work to have a relationship, doesn't it? And the writer is saying, check this out. There's this thing called a bitter root that can grow inside of you and can actually make you defiled under the eyes of God. That word defile, it means like unclean. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament, there's great, great, you know, there's a lot of talk about staying away from anything that defiles you. Usually it's related to sexual immorality or worshiping idols. In fact, many times you see in scripture, God tells Israel, look, look, these people have, have, have defiled me and the land is defiled as well because they have defiled me. And the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 is saying, be careful because this bitter root can grow up inside of you and it'll actually defile you. It'll, it'll, it'll hinder your ability to walk with God. Bitter people cause trouble. Bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Have you ever noticed people who are just negative all the time? All the time they're negative. All the time they're critical. They see the worst in everything. They see the worst in everyone. They're skeptical all the time. The glass is half full, all the, or half empty rather. It's just like that all the time with these people. They've got a bitter root inside of them and they're angry at someone. And they want other people to be bitter with them. Bitter people need bitter people. It validates them. Bitter people do not make every effort to live in peace with everyone. They no longer try. They avoid people. They avoid relationships. They avoid trusting others. They might call themselves a Christian, but they avoid deep relationships. They kind of build a wall around them. That's bitter people. That's bitter people. Let me say it this way. Bitter people let something that happened years ago live inside of them as if it's happening in real time now. Those are bitter people. They fall in love with that pain. They fall in love with that hurt. And it's just like being at the hospital in ICU. It's just like, beep, 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 beep. It has a heartbeat. It has a pulse. Bitter people have these memories in the past, and they keep them alive. And you know it, because when you talk to them about it, they can talk about what happened like it was just yesterday. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, didn't that thing happen 20 years ago? I don't even remember that. You remember? All oh, yeah, that's how it went down. Really? That's how it went down? They hold on to their pain. They remember words. They become vindictive. They become spiteful. And if that's you, let me just say this. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Don't hold on to it. Because that bitter root is taking over your life. It's taking over the joy of your life. The joy of walking with God, the joy of relationships. T.D. Jake said it like this, don't allow a moment of agony draw you to make a conclusion about life prematurely. We could have that moment of agony, that moment of hurt, that moment of discouragement. And if we're not careful, we can take that moment and we can make a blanket statement and say, oh, everyone's like this. They're all like this. Everyone is like this. All women, like all men, all whatever, all churches, whatever, they're all like this. That one moment of agony, that place of discouragement, you know how you know you're no longer bitter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, this is not going to be on the screen, so you wanna, you got to take notes here. First thing you do, here's how you know you're no longer bitter. You can pray for the person who hurts you. Really. You can pray for them. You have no problems praying for them. That's a sign that you're no longer bitter. You can pray for them. When the Lord revealed this to me, guys, let me just tell you, I had a moment with God in my bedroom. And I got on my knees and I prayed by name people 
who've hurt me. I'm not talking about a prayer like God bring them to their knees or God open up the ground and swallow them up. I'm saying it was like God, and this was hard for me, guys. I got on my knees and I was like, God, would you bless them? There was nothing said after that. <laughs> if they do this, you know what I'm talking about? And I, I, I gave the names and I went, I have a list, brother. I have a sister. Uh, would you just bless them? Would you bless them? You know why I did that? Um, because I've discovered something. My bitterness can become a barrier to God's blessings in my life. My bitterness can become a barrier to, be, to God's blessings in my life. The other way you can know you no longer have bitterness is you no longer wish any harm over them. The part of the truth is we just, our flesh says, you know what, I want to see them in pain. I want to see them in pain. That's what I want to see. And you're just angry until you see them in pain. The other thing is you don't avoid them. Because you could say, I'm not bitter. I've forgiven and never talk to them. You haven't forgiven. There's no peace. You're fooling yourself. It's just easy. Just easy. Just easy. Let me say it this way. You won't be able to accept the imperfection. Oh, let's put this on. Yeah, you won't be able to accept the imperfections in others until you see the imperfections in yourself. Isn't that good? That's where it starts. And I know by, and our human nature is very self-centered. Our human nature is look at how everyone has hurt me or look at what others are doing wrong or look at where it's easy to do that. Have you ever talked to someone and you talk to them maybe on the phone and, and they do 90% of the talking? Have you ever had those conversations? Here's the truth. They care very little about you. That's the truth. If they did, they want to hear about you, right? It takes great uh, love to keep your mouth shut and to listen and to say, I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about what's going on with you. I want to hear what, what's happening. I, that takes great, great emotional intelligence to have those kinds of conversations. But you won't be able to accept the imperfection in others until you see the imperfections in yourself. The crazy thing behind this is when you start having honest looks about yourself or at yourself and you recognize, yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, I do. I'm not, I can be cruel. Yeah, you know what? I can be sarcastic. You know what? I can be intimidating or I, I can be a jerk. Yep, I can be just cruel. I can be rude. I can be, you know, you start having those kinds of honest conversations and, and you're like, yeah, I, I, I've seen that other side of me. And then you recognize the grace of God, the love of our heavenly father. And you're like, wow, God loves me. You forgive me, God, for reals? You forgive me? Even after you saw what I saw, I don't like what I saw and you still love me? And then you see that, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to you about his grace. And it's a crazy thing that happens. You see your imperfections in light of God's grace. And then when you see others and their imperfections, you extend that same grace onto them. I'm going to pass it on to them because I know who I am apart from the grace of God. I need the grace of God. And I don't want a root of bitterness to grow up. I should have brought that weed from my house that I found. I should have brought, I don't want that root of bitterness to grow up in my heart and defile me. That word defile, it's the same word he used in the Old Testament that talked about sexual immorality. All kinds of things that you can do that same word talks about idol worship, same word. And he talks about a bitter root 
is just like sexual immorality? A bitter root is just like idol worship? No, it can't be. Come on, God, it's not that bad. Hebrews chapter 12 says, wait, it's that bad. It's that bad. It's that bad. How do we do all this? We do this by keeping our eyes. Oh, let's put this. We do this by keeping our eyes. There he is again on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's our Alpha and the Omega. He's the living one. He's the resurrection and the life. He's our mediator. He's our counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who was stricken. He's the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation for our sins. Word dropped there. It's all about Jesus. So it's all about your ability to fix your eyes on Jesus. This is where it's good to have tunnel vision. Anybody have tunnel vision? Well, all you see is that right there, and you don't even see people around you at all. You can be driving alongside of them, right, Terry? And <laughs> you don't even see anyone around you. And you're like, I don't even see you. You like drive up to a car. Hey, hey, hey. They don't look. I mean, it's just that ability. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. What's crazy is when you fix your eyes on Jesus, everything else becomes clear. Everything else becomes clear. But it says you got to run. You got to get off that couch. You got you to gotta get moving. You got to stop giving excuses. You got to do that because that lame, that limp can become a major issue if you don't take care of that minor injury and you got to get moving and you got to run. And it's only as you run do you recognize what's holding you back from going to the next level. Oh, Hebrews chapter 12, guys. It's calling you out. Some of you need to run. Some of you have been sitting on the couch too long. Some of you have been limping too long. Some of you have stopped too long. It's time to run. Hello. Are you ready to run? Let's run together, guys. I want to give you a chance. I want to pray for you. Those of you who are watching online, I want to give you an opportunity as well. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step. And here's the second step. I'm going to call those of you who call yourselves a Christian. Maybe, maybe you could identify with some of these things. Maybe God has corrected you, and maybe you've just become discouraged over that. Maybe you need a new perspective of our Heavenly Father. Or maybe you've let a bitter root grow up on the side of your house, I mean heart. And it's taken over your life. You've convinced yourself you're in control. You've convinced yourself you're strong enough. You've convinced yourself it's nothing. But the truth is, you've stopped everything. And you're sitting down on your spiritual couch doing nothing. And maybe God is calling you out saying it's time to run. Let's run together. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for this word you've given me. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit. I sense your presence. I sense you working in me and through me. And I'm so humbled that you've chosen to do that and has forgiven me for my sins and crazy idea to be used by you. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, right now I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me for my sins. And come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I turn to you. Others of you might need to say this. God, make me holy. God, I want to get off my couch and I want to start running. I haven't done that in a long time, God. I want to start running. And I want to strip off anything that's slowing me down. So you show me, God, what's holding me back from running. And I want to strip it off. And also, God, while we're at it, would you just pull out that bitter root? 
from my heart right now. Pull it out. And maybe you need to say a prayer for that person or people that hurt you. Maybe you need to say it right now and you need to say, God, bless them. Be with them. Show your love to them. And maybe you need to say, God, I don't want anything to become a barrier between your blessings and my life. Thank you, God, for your love and grace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is so good, guys. Glory to God.